Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are launching uh, our Christmas series, and it is entitled Among Us. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the traditional Christmas narratives and looking at what Jesus intends to bring uh, into our lives, into our daily experience. We're going to be talking about hope among us, and we're going to be talking about peace among us and joy among us. We're going to be talking about his kingdom rule and reign among us. We're going to get to celebrate Christmas Eve, uh, the light of the world and our darkness. And we're going to get to all of that, but we are going to start the series with really preparing our hearts to receive those things. Because uh, it's possible for you and I to know those things to be true, to even learn them from week to week and kind of cognitively agree with those, give a nod to it, but not have it something that we're experiencing in our day-to-day life. And so I want to help you posture your heart to not just know of those things, but to receive those things from the Lord during this time. Uh, and we are going to begin with just the very simple truth that God intends to dwell among us that God intends to be uh, involved in your day-to-day life. That might be something that you've already experienced from time to time. That might be something that you are walking as a present truth. That might be a new idea for you. But it's important for us to receive that truth and have it applied to our lives before we start talking about hope and joy and all of the other things. Because if we are not convinced that God is present and powerful in our lives, those things will always seem to be just out of reach as well. And there's really, there's nothing that demonstrates God's desire to draw near to mankind uh, as vividly as the birth of Jesus. The, the birth of Jesus is, an, is it's a very, very clear indicator. It's, it's something that's tangible that we can really uh, see in our mind's eye of God's intention to be with us in our present day-to-day circumstances and to walk with us in that. And one of the interesting things is as you uh, study Scripture, up until the birth of Christ, there is a longing in in God's people. There is a longing uh, in creation for His arrival. There's this uh, anticipation of the Messiah. And then you find that after that, Jesus' birth and his uh, ministry, his death and his resurrection, that Romans chapter 8 tells us that there is a longing in all of creation now for his return, that there's this longing, there's this desire in all of creation for the tangible uh, presence, the, the fullness of that. Uh, And if you uh, have um, kind of bumped into maybe uh, theological circles, they would say that the time period that we're living in, right, after Jesus' death and resurrection, but before his second coming, they would say we're living in the time of the now and the not yet, right? Because the kingdom of God is here and present, but it's not fully here. You and I have been made right in Christ. We've been made perfect in Christ, but we are also being made perfect as we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's a, it's like this in-between space where we get a taste and a glimpse and we get to participate in the things of God. And then there's like some stuff in the world that's still super jacked up. And some of us are even a part of that. 
And it's in that space that kind of that now and not yet and the tension of the lives that you and I live day to day that we really begin to kind of wrestle with this idea of God being near. Uh, it is likely that many of us in either the whole of our life or in pieces of our life right now would feel like God is really, really far. That maybe in our grief that he is not close and offering comfort, that maybe in our challenges uh, we're not uh, sensing his strength. Or maybe in the places of bondage in our, in our lives, we're not aware of how he's bringing rescue. That, that's, that's a common place for many of us to kind of wrestle out. But it has always been, it has always been God's intention to dwell among his people. It's always been his intention to be near to you, to be close to you, and for you to be aware of that. Leaning into him, knowing him, and having him participate in your life. God has always intended to inhabit his creation in a, in a very, very special way, in a way where his presence and his power uh, come to bear within our everyday experience. And again, despite that intention and even his clear declaration in scripture towards that effect, oftentimes we, we find ourselves either believing or at least feeling like he's He's really far away. But I want to just kind of start this series with reaffirming that truth that not only does God intend to draw near to you, I want you to know that he already has. He, he already has. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts to hear from your word today. Lord, that you would posture um, our hearts to receive from you. Lord, give us the leading and the strength of the Holy Spirit to act on it. And Lord, before we can receive from you, we have to be convinced that you are a God who gives. And so, Lord, help us to know that you are a God of love and a God of grace, and that you give not just gifts, but you give your very self in presence and in power. Help us to receive that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Your Bible's out. In just a little bit, we're going to be going to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and the reason that we're starting there, because it's like, whoa, pump the brakes, Pastor. You just said Merry Christmas, and I thought we were off and running, and you went back to the beginning of the book, what is going on here. Again, God's intention from the very beginning has always been to be with you, to be present and powerful in the everyday expression of creation. And you find that original intention when you go back to the book of Genesis. That would be the book of beginnings or the book of origins, depending on how you're translating that word. And it gives us the creative narratives, the creation narratives. And in those, you see how God intended for things to always be. And if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, just give me a few moments to make sure that we're all on board. But in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you have two narratives of creation. It's important to recognize that they are separate and distinct. Genesis chapter 1 uh, reads as a big 30,000-foot view of creation. And you've got the seven days that God created, or the six, rather, and the seventh that he rests and you have that one that you are familiar with it. And then in uh, Genesis chapter 2, you have uh, the creation of Adam and Eve. And Genesis chapter 2 is not day 8. It's not kind of a continuance of that sequence. There is a big view of creation, and then there is an intimate view of creation. And both of those stories are important to recognize. And in Genesis chapter 1, you have God begin to speak. 
If you're familiar with it, then you would uh, maybe familiar with this. And if not, I would encourage you to just read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, maybe on your own this week in your own time of study. But in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and things begin to happen. Light separates from darkness and there's creation and there's all kinds of things that are taking place. And at the end of Genesis chapter 1, as he starts to consider mankind, he says, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. And you have God speaking and moving in that way. But in Genesis chapter 2, it moves from kind of this big lens view of creation and it gets really focused. And it focuses not on the other things that God created, but specifically on mankind, specifically on the way that he positioned himself to interact with mankind. And this is where it's so important for you and I to see the difference. In Genesis chapter 2, as it begins to record the creation of Adam, God doesn't just speak and it happens. The passage says that God then formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And the indication there of forming, it's not a speaking, it's a hands-on. It's as if God scooped what he had created and begins to form and fashion man. It's a a hands-on type of creation. It's It's a personal, it's an intimate, it's elbows deep. It's the reason why later on in scripture you would have a language that would say that he is the potter and we are the clay. That in Paul's writings, that he would say that you and I are his handiwork, that we are his masterpiece, that we are his craftsmanship on display. Because God isn't far off and just kind of speaking things to take place, that when it comes to you and I, he is hands-on and he is intimately involved, that he is present and he is active, that he's moving in that place. Then as you continue to read Genesis chapter 2, you see that Adam is formed, but he is lifeless And then God does something for man that he does in no other act of creation. It says that he breathes his breath into him. See, the way that God has always intended to interact in your life is different than all of the other things that he has created. All of the other things that we would marvel at and wonder at. To be hands-on and to be the very breath in you. And when you get to chapter three, if you're familiar with the kind of the creation account and the narratives, like things go sideways. In Genesis chapter three, this is where Adam and Eve rebel against the Lord. They compromise. The churchy word or the doctrine word is they sinned. They missed the mark. There's a number of different ways that you can go about unpacking that and ways that you can see it impact their lives but they chose to step out of right alignment with their creator. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it's such an interesting thing that you see as God's response. Because we know from our vantage, and, and maybe if you've grown up in the church, that God is holy, that he can't tolerate sin, that sin's a big problem for us when it comes to being in right relationship and right alignment with the Lord. And even if you don't know that from a doctrinal or theological standpoint, you know enough about what sin has done to you and how it has exacted its effects on others to know that it's not a good thing. And in the middle of that backdrop, when that is introduced into creation, God responds in a really interesting way. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, 
It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. We're just going to focus on this verse for a few minutes. I'll circle back to some of the other ideas later on. But the first response that God had towards sin in man was to draw near to him. Was to come into the middle of creation and walk. And if you read the narrative, it it, it says that he called out, where are you? Not like he didn't know where they were or what had happened. But he initiates interaction. He initiates relationship. And that's always his posture. It was his posture in creation. And it was even his posture immediately after sin entered into the creative order. He went to walk with them. And the conversation that's recorded later on in chapter 3, we would think would be a punitive conversation. Right? Show of hands, how many of you have been called into the principal's office? I'm just teasing. You don't have to, you don't have to out yourself. Right? You don't need any snitches in here. Right? When you're called into the principal's office, like, that's usually not a good conversation, is it? I found this is so funny for me. Like, I found that when I've asked people to come and talk to me in the office, I have to tell them you're not in trouble uh, because it's, it's almost the same thing for pastors. Pastor wants to see you. <gasps> oh, what does he know? Right? Some people assume I read the newspaper and I don't, and some people just assume that the Holy Spirit's tattling on him and he's not. God's conversation wasn't one of those types of conversations. He does give them the consequence. There's consequence for sin and brokenness. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That whatever sin is a part of, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess it up. It's going to cause damage to it. It's not going to be the way that God intended for it to be. In Proverbs chapter 10, there's actually an Old Testament verse on this that says that the wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Like whenever we step out of alignment with the things of God and whenever we entertain the things of this broken world and the systems of it, like it's going to bring about a diminishment. It's going to bring about a lessening. It's always the case. And God breaks the news to them in Genesis 3. He gives them that consequence, but he also gives them the promise that immediately the first thing that God does, even when sin comes in and ruins what he had made perfect, He draws near and he gives a promise. It will not always be this way. The promise, the first promise of the Messiah was in those first moments. But God draws near. And that depiction of God drawing near is in the whole of the book. If you read from that place forward, God is always drawing near. He is always calling out. He is always moving towards those who are far off. There's a phrase that is repeated over and over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, and it's where God speaks to individuals, and he says this, I will be with you. I will be with you. 
He says these words to Isaac. He says these words to Jacob. He says these words to Joshua. He says these words to Gideon. He says these words to Moses. He says these words to Solomon. Over and over and over, that exact phrase, I will be with you. All of them with points of failure. All of them falling short of what we would know would be the standard. And then throughout the Old Testament, You have God saying things like this, my presence will go before you and I will dwell among you over and over and over. Pick a story, pick a character, and God is moving towards people. He always intends to connect with us. And nothing demonstrates God's desire to draw near to you and I more vividly than the birth of Jesus. Where instead of it just being his presence in the sense of demonstrated power or a resting sensing of his spirit that now God was going to demonstrate how far he would go when he would take on flesh. And John writes about this in his first chapter, his account of kind of the the entrance of Jesus into humanity. He skips kind of the birth and the genealogy that some of the other gospel writers do. And in John chapter 1, he uses Genesis language. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by Him, and through Him, and for Him, all things were created. Like he moves through this Genesis-type language in speaking of who Jesus is, and then he gets to the idea of Jesus coming to you and I. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. It says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That God himself, he wasn't just going to speak. He wasn't just going to act from afar. He wasn't just going to come and kind of momentarily remain. He was now going to be present in a different way than in all of human history before it. That he came and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. To convince you and I of his desire to be close to us, he went as far as coming as a baby in the manger. God's desire is to live among us, to be among you in your day-to-day, in your coming and going, that he would be present and he would demonstrate his power and his grace and his goodness in your life. And that's a struggle for us. Living in that now and not yet. Living in that partial fulfillment of things. Being much like Paul who would say, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Those, those wrestling out what it means to like really be a man of God and a woman of God and trying to figure out how to move forward in the things that God has for us. And it's the reason why we often miss this truth, that God is present. And some of that is because of sin. When I was growing up, I, I kind of had it hammered into me, kind of the theological truth that sin separates us from a holy God. God is holy and he can't tolerate sin that 
Sin is something that I fall short of the things that God has for me, and it, it diminishes the return of what he might have for me. And the, the challenge for you and I is that it's hard for us to see ourselves as separated from our sin, either the things that we have committed or the things that have been done to us. It has a tendency to arrest our identity. But in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 8, after the very first entrance of sin in creation, God didn't say, well, I can't be around you. He didn't say, well, I can't make my way to you. Well, you know what? We're just going to have to put this on hold until another time. Scripture says that he came and he walked in the garden. And he said, let's talk about this problem. Here's the consequences that come with it. But here's the promise. I'm going to take care of that. And the coming of Jesus is the plan for that. And we know that not just the life and the ministry that he lived, but his death and resurrection specifically are to deal with that issue of sin. But even before Jesus came as a baby in the manger, God was constantly moving towards people. I will be with you. I will go before you. This is how uh, I come and dwell among you. But our response typically is what brings the separation. See, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, God comes and he walks in the garden and he pursues Adam and Eve and invites them into this conversation. But look at their response in that verse, the second part. It says, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, God intends to draw near to you. He intends to be present and active in your life. And more often than not, the separation that we end up experiencing is not because God has cast us off. It's because we have withdrawn. See, we know that we are guilty, and so we withdraw. Sometimes we're shrouded in our shame. And so we retreat to the shadows. Sometimes we're dealing with just the, the overwhelming difficulties in life. And because of the hurt and the offense, or the grief and the despair, we withdraw. We move away. The effects and the impact of sin in the world that we live in, that now and that not yet truth, when we're dealing with those things of difficulty, very often we withdraw. And in doing so, we entertain the thought that God has moved away from me, that he is displeased with me, when really what has happened is I have moved away from him. And that his desire always is to be near. So much so that even that issue of sin, that's a very real issue. He deals with that on your behalf. In Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Even when the very real issues in our life bring about a degree of misalignment and separation, and even when we are tempted to or actually act on withdrawing from the Lord, He is always moving towards us. He is always trying to get to you and I. So much so that He would go to the extent of being born in a manger, and so much so He would go to the extent of death on the cross. Both to not only deal with the issue of sin, but to demonstrate very tangibly to you and I that He wants to be with you. That He wants to be present and powerful in your life, in your coming and your goings, your ins and your outs, and your day to day, that He wants to be present. All of those things that are very real reasons that we withdraw, Jesus wants to bring healing to and so much more. And so I'm going to give you three just kind of practical ways that you can begin to posture yourself to receive all that Jesus has for you this season. That as we begin to talk about how he wants to bring hope among us and peace among us and joy among us and his kingdom rule among us, that as you bump into those truths in the coming weeks, that your heart is ready to receive those in full faith, and to walk out that experience. And so here are three ways that you and I can prepare ourselves to receive what God has for us. If you're a note taker, there's going to be three. You can write these down. The first one is this, is to begin to prepare your heart. Begin to prepare your heart. And there's a part of this where our heart softens towards the things of God. There's a part of this that the Holy Spirit does very clearly in Scripture. It talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in doing some of that. But there's also a decision point for you and I as to whether or not we're going to be open to receive whatever God has for us. There are plenty of times where the Lord has tried to offer something to us where our hands have been closed. And Scripture would say that in those instances, what we have is is a hard heart. Psalm chapter 95 says this. It says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, as you encounter the Lord, as he would want to move in your life, as he would want to uh, speak and converse with you, as he would want to interact with you, as he would invite you into interaction, do not harden your hearts. It's an interesting psalm because this psalm, that, that very phrase and kind of a, a little bit more of that psalm on three different occasions is quoted in the book of Hebrews. As the writer of Hebrews goes through great lengths to convince us that we are uh, reconciled to God, that we are made right in relationship with him because of who Jesus is and what he's done, he quotes this psalm over and over and over again. Because if our heart is hard, we will not receive that truth and respond in a way where we receive the things that God has for us. Jesus would put it this way in his ministry as he would speak to people, uh, oftentimes through parables, but as he would speak of kingdom truths and the challenge that they had with whether or not they were going to receive those and act on them, he would say that those who resisted the truth of the things of the kingdom of God, that they had eyes to see but would not 
see, and they had ears to hear but would not hear. That it wasn't a capability issue or a capacity issue. It was an unwillingness to acknowledge what was true. And so for you and I, as we go into this season, before we talk about hope and peace and joy, we have to have a heart that is postured to say, Lord, the things that you would give me, I'm ready to receive. Choose to soften your heart. The second thing that we can do to make sure that we experience the fullness of what God would do in our lives through this season is to have a faith-filled expectation. To have a faith-filled expectation. I don't know about you, but I usually temper my expectations. I usually turn them down a notch because I would rather be pleasantly surprised than crushingly disappointed, right? Has it, does anybody kind of hedge their bets a little bit when they have kind of some of those thoughts? Can I tell you that when it comes to the Lord, we need to have great expectation because God does great things. We need to have faith-filled expectation. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says something that on a number of occasions he does when he's speaking about prayer and the way that we pursue that interaction with the Lord. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. And on this occasion, Luke rounds out his teaching on this idea of prayer and expectation with this promise. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those of you who have been in square three, you guys know this is like our key verse in square three. And our tagline for this is that dad says yes. Dad says yes. Ask, seek, knock, well, you know what? It didn't happen in the right time. Ask, seek, knock. Yeah, well, you, ask, seek, knock. Be persistent. Be filled with faith. Petition the Lord. Have an expectation that He's going to do great things in you. Next week when we talk about hope, ask, seek, knock. You may have situations in your life that are absolutely hopeless in man's vantage. But nothing is impossible. With God. We're going to unpack those types of truths, but we have to have an increased faith-filled expectation. The third thing that you and I can do really has to do with the direction that we're facing. And in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And I want to illustrate this really quickly, because a lot of times when we sense that there's separation between us and the Lord, right, there's distance, this verse oftentimes we think of in this way. Okay, I'm going to come near to God and he's going to come near to me. So I'm going to take a step and he's going to take a step, right? And I'm going to take a step and he's going to take a step. Or he's not going to take any steps and I'm just going to take a lot of steps because I'm a long ways away. And it's going to take me a long way to get back to him. Can I tell you that God has promised to never leave you nor forsake you? And in this verse particular, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And it's not a reciprocity. It's not that if you take two steps, he takes two steps. It has a lot to do with the direction that you're facing and what you're focusing on. And when you feel far from God, it is unlikely that you are looking in his direction. 
that you are sensing your waywardness and your wandering, and you maybe are looking at your brokenness and your sin and your failures, your own shortcomings, all of the other things that would suggest to you that you are alone and adrift and that you can't hope for any type of anchor point or safe port on return. Like, but you're, you're looking at the wrong things. And what I have found, and, and really what is illustrated in the, in the idea or the principle of repentance in Scripture, is that when I make that about face, when I turn my face back to the Lord, He's not far off. We're face to face. It's not so much of me traveling all the way back to Him. He was never gone. He was never missing. He was never far off. Even in my places of brokenness and sin, he's always, always looking to dwell among us. He's always working his way to you. It's demonstrated in the birth of Christ. It's demonstrated in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's illustrated from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. God is always making his way towards you and I. And when I turn my face towards that, I find myself not looking far off for a God who is inattentive or busy elsewhere, but I find myself face to face with the Lord. There's a couple things in Scripture that illustrate that, even the idea of the name of Adam. And then a place in Scripture that calls you the apple of his eye. It means that you're so close to him that you can see the reflection of your face in the other person's pupil. That's the language that's used there. That's the way that God draws near to you. And as we begin this season of Advent, as we set the expectation to look and long for Jesus to be present in each and every aspect of our life, we have to start with the truth that he has always intended to and always does draw near to us. And with that truth and that expectation, we can posture ourselves to receive the fullness of what he would have for us and to do in us this season. Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. As you and I go about making preparations for the Christmas season, there's going to be a lot of preparation, right? Um, some of you have already started preparing your homes. Some of you decorated way early. Uh, I start the music, but I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not an animal. I hold off on some of the decorations. Certainly, you've already been preparing your schedule, trying to figure out where you're going to be and what you're going to do. Some of that in itself is its own challenges, right? As you're trying to strike balance between obligations. Like some of you are making preparations with your wardrobe, right? Christmas sweater Sunday. Some of you all got to get your game, step it up. But before you do any of that, prepare your heart. Just prepare your heart. One of those Christmas songs that we'll sing at some point during this season will say, let every heart prepare him room. Just prepare your heart. Lord, today we choose to soften our hearts towards you. 
we ask that by your spirit that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. That we would see you move in our lives and that we would hear your voice as you would lead us. And that, Lord, we, we choose and we affirm an openness to receive. Lord, we open our hearts to you today. We make room. Lord, we choose today to have faith-filled expectation and for placing in our lives, Lord, where it would seem that you're far off. We're gonna ask and we're gonna seek and we're gonna knock. Lord, we're gonna ask and seek and knock in those places where it seems hopeless, where it seems near impossible. Believing that you're present and that you'll demonstrate your power to believing that dad says yes. And Lord, we're gonna choose to draw near to you. Lord, not somehow just making our wayward way home, but Lord, to turn our face towards you and to recognize that you have always been faithful to your promise, that you have never left us nor forsaken us that you have not cast us away from your presence. Lord, that even when we are marred with sin, even when we are broken, Lord, even when we are dirty with our own misdeeds, Lord, that you are constantly making your way to us. And you don't gloss over our great need. You call out our sin. Lord, you draw it to our attention, not to shame us and not to cast us away, but to help us see our great need, to help us to open our heart, to posture ourselves to receive your salvation. Lord, help us to prepare our hearts, to increase our faith, and to posture our face towards you. Lord, that this season we would receive all that you have for us. And Lord, as much as we would receive, help us to give that as well. Lord, that every move that you would make in us, Lord, would be one that we would invite others to share. That we would receive your great grace and hope. And that we would give that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few simple action steps for you to kind of start thinking about. This week, if you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you can snap a picture of these or you can catch them online later on. The first one is draw near to Jesus during this season. Number two is invite his power and presence. A great way to do that would be to begin to start your day in prayer with that type of an invitation. And then number three, make sure that you are preparing your heart to receive him. Choose to soften your heart towards the things that God has for you. And Merry Christmas.